Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We're continuing in our our study of uh, the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Um, I just don't know if there could be a more relevant instruction and, and, and teaching about the situation that we face in our day as when Paul was speaking to Timothy. And, and Paul has, has characterized that the days from Jesus's ascension and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, that these are what Paul calls the last days. And he explains to his disciple, to Timothy, he explains to him that there'll be cycles of distress. There'll be times of peril that come until Jesus returns. And what Paul is doing here and what we're going to look at today is that Paul in this last chapter, in this fourth chapter, his last written words uh, to inspire and encourage Timothy, he's, he's going to pull out all the stops. He's, gonna, he's, he's basically asking the question, how big is your God? How big is your faith? How big is your call? And so Paul is one who is uniquely qualified to, to really bring conviction in this area. I mean, he, he's in a jail cell. He's in a, a prison that has only a, a, a meager opening for light and air. Very little comfort whatsoever in this, in this place. He, he knows that he has been sentenced to death. He knows that, that he will be executed soon. And yet, the Roman government, the sentence of death, but even his circumstances are not bigger than his God. In some ways, as we read this passage together, you'll see that Paul comes across as a man bigger than life, a man bigger than his circumstances. But that's not really the case. You see, when you put your faith, when you put your trust and you surrender your life to God, then God has all the greatness that you need, that he has all the power that you need. You no longer have to worry uh, whether or not you're big enough or, you're, or are you too little or whatever it is, but you just you have a confidence, almost an inexplicable confidence that says, no matter what the outcome is, my God is bigger than this. No matter what the outcome is, my faith is bigger than this. And that's what he's calling Timothy to in this last chapter, a big faith, a big call, a big God. And, and as we read these first four verses, I want you to realize that though he is talking very personally to Timothy, this was recorded and was saved and preserved now for almost 2,000 years because you're the Timothy that the Holy Spirit is talking to right now. So as we look at this passage, it's 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's, here are the verses. Here's God's word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So here is the Apostle Paul, and he's making the strongest of charges to Timothy. You see, he, he, he wants Timothy to get what he has lived out in his life. He, he, he realizes it doesn't matter if he's in prison, doesn't matter if the sentence of death is upon him. He knows that he has lived a significant life. And so what Paul is trying to do is to open Timothy's eyes to the importance of the calling, so much so that, that he's, he's appealing to more than just Timothy's you know, desires or longings or Timothy's talents or education. He's appealing. He said, it even says here, he earnestly, he, he's doing it with everything in him. He's calling Timothy. And as he does it, he kind of pulls back the boundaries of time and space and he reveals to Timothy that there's more going on here than is visible. That there are unseen realities before whom Timothy and every Christian lives and labors. And he reminds him of the, the great personages who are involved in Timothy's ministry in Ephesus. Timothy is now pastoring the church in Ephesus. And he says, I charge you in the presence of God. And, and when he says I charge, he's saying I, I passionately, urgently, earnestly, sincerely, I'm, I'm giving you everything I've got to realize that everything that's going on in your life is significant because it's being lived out in the presence of God. And, and, and the reason that he's bringing this about is because it's just so easy to think that your life is so insignificant. And what he's really saying is in the midst of the pressures, you know, things you can't control, things that, uh, that are perilous or things that seem like uh, they're threatening to you, Paul says, even when it feels like that, you've got to look beyond the circumstances right in front of you. And you've got to look beyond the pressure or the stress. And you've got to realize that what you're doing is you are living out the ministry of Christ. That's your life. And you might see yourself or feel like you're just a tiny minority among an overwhelming, mounting majority of people who are just committed to the opposite of what you're committed to, who have utterly different values and beliefs than you do. And sometimes it can seem like your voice is nothing but a whisper, even though it seems like everybody else is screaming and there's chaos and there's clamor. And yet, Paul is trying to get us to realize that as we walk out our commitment with Christ, we're not insignificant. We, we may not see all the fruit of what our lives are accomplishing because the outcomes belong to the Lord. Even Paul could not see fully that, that his 13 letters would form the majority of the, of, of the books of the New Testament. He could not know 
that that's what his writings were going to do, that you and I, almost 2,000 years later, are still reading and studying and finding not only comfort, but training and teaching that gives us the ability to navigate life well. But you have to make a decision about what kind of voice you're going to listen to in terms of your life. One of the illustrations that was helpful to me um, is imagine that you're walking down an alleyway and on every side are buildings with doors and windows. But at the end of the alleyway, there's the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the, the goal of your life is to go from where you are to where Jesus is. And all along the way, in the windows and the doors and all that, there are people yelling to you. There are people yelling at you. There are people who are trying to get you to turn aside. There are people who are saying, come in here, you'll be safe. Come in here, you'll have pleasure, whatever it is. And the goal of your life is not to listen to all the windows and the doors, all the seduction and the temptation, the accusations and the lies, but the, the goal of your life is to keep your eyes straight ahead down the alley where Jesus is calling you. And that's, that's what Paul is saying. There's going to be clamoring. There's going to be chaos. There's even going to be temptation calling from the sidelines. But you've got to keep your eyes on a bigger prize than turning aside. And so as we look at this passage together, some of this is a little out of order here for some reason. So what the apostle does is he rolls back for Timothy the separation between the visible and the invisible worlds. And he wants to show us that no matter how significant or insignificant you think your life is, that, that there's a presence and, and, and in whose presence we are every day laboring and whose powerful forces, the the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit observing us, working with us in everything that we do and everything that we say. Timothy is being reminded that every single thing he does is in the presence of God the Father, that he does this before the very face of God, before the very eyes of God. And he also, and he makes this very uh, clear distinction, he says Timothy is also reminded that he carries on his ministry in the sight of Christ Jesus. And, and he makes a, a description here uh, of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the one that we all will stand for that before. He is the judge of all men. And nothing in the human heart is hidden from him. Every one of us, believer, unbeliever, will stand and give account um, Jesus himself has said that the Father has given to Jesus the judgment of all into Jesus' hands. And so Timothy is not simply carrying out a ministry in the midst of chaos or clamor or temptation or distraction, but Timothy is carrying out his ministry before the very face of God, before the very eyes of the Father, he is carrying out the plan of the Father. And, and he's doing so before the one who not only knows our behavior, but knows the motives and the, the heart behind our behavior. Now, in some ways, that might scare you. 
because you begin to realize, uh, you know, I, I, I live in such a way that I don't live thinking that everything I'm doing is being seen by God. Everything I'm doing is being known by God. That even when I can fool other people, I'm not fooling the heart of God because he knows my motives. He knows the values. He knows that even when I think I'm doing good, that, that often the, the motivation there is not good. There's nothing that's hidden from him. Now, if you're going to try in your own strength, or you're going to try in your own power to live out this life before the face of God, then you're going to fail miserably. But if you're going to realize that, that, okay, I have this kind of significance, there is this kind of divine, even though it may be invisible, this divine presence in every aspect of my life, then you're going to have to learn how do I live this out? How do I live this out effectively? How do I begin to not have hooks in me that get drawn to the, to the windows that are yelling at me or pulled aside to the doors that I shouldn't go into and keep my eyes focused on the Lord Jesus and his voice? And, and Paul you know, begins to set things in perspective about this. And he says, you know, Every aspect of the Christian's life, every, every breath you take, the work you do, the talk that you do, if, if you begin to surrender that and you surrender it to the word of God and you surrender it to the spirit of Christ, what will happen is your life will be inexplicably transformed and the, the things you care about will be the things that God cares about. You'll, you'll care about righteousness. You'll, you'll, you'll be upset at injustice. You'll, you'll choose into living lovingly, sacrificially. You'll learn to be compassionate with empathy and sympathy for other people. You see, when we begin to, to really understand the significance of we're living in the face of God, but we're also living in the, the presence of Christ our, uh, every day, then we have something that we can contribute in terms of comfort and relief in the hurts of others. We can, we can point men not to ourselves or to our good works, but to the Savior who can change their lives. You know, it may not seem like you've done that much, but according to Paul, anyone who lives in Christ has involved themselves in the greatest strategy ever, has involved themselves in the greatest human endeavor ever. Your, your life... According to Paul, and, and not just saying this to Timothy, but saying it to you, your life is an extremely significant thing. Let me, let me illustrate this a little bit biblically and theologically. Stay with me on this. There's a parallel here. So when God made the earth, it says six days God created the heavens and the earth, and he created humans in his image. And on the seventh day, he rested. But once he had created the humans and male and female to reflect his image, he does something very unusual in my mind. He turns over the stewardship, the governorship, even the word in scripture is the dominion of the earth to the humans. He made us responsible for what he had created. Now, obviously, according to Genesis, we failed miserably. We were seduced by Satan. 
And Satan didn't take God's place. Satan took our place. And so the stewardship and the dominion and the authority that we could have had was yielded in our disobedience and sin and death entered the world. Now, I think if you look closely at what Paul's saying, Jesus has done that again. Jesus has come back as the second Adam. He has fulfilled all the law of God. He has become for us our substitute. He became sin for us, paying the penalty of our sin, destroying the power of death. And then when he had completed his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension, he left us in charge again. Now, it's a little bit different because what he's given to us that Adam didn't have is he has given to us his spirit, not to just be with us, but to be in us. And the spirit who is in us is just as if Christ himself were with us because he, this Holy Spirit, this spirit of Christ is the same spirit that anointed Jesus for his ministry, that empowered him for his work. So I think a lot of Christians get deceived into thinking they're insignificant. That, you know, they're just doing enough to get by. No, that's not it, friends. In the same way Adam was to subdue the earth, in the same way Adam was to have dominion over the earth, you and I are in a a process now that Jesus has given to us to restore what the enemy has stolen. And we do that by advancing the kingdom of God, of of being a place where heaven invades earth, where your home is a house of prayer, where your life is a house of prayer, where where your your work is a place where heaven is invading earth because you are there. And if you get this and you understand, wow, you mean in the same way God entrusted Adam and Eve, now Jesus is entrusting you and me you'll realize how significant everything you decide, everything you do is. And you're also the key strategy that God has for advancing this righteousness, this holiness on earth. One of the stories that I've always loved and i never forgotten is, is, is Billy Graham, one of the great evangelists who's ever lived, was often offered positions of power. Lyndon B. Johnson offered him a place in his cabinet, wanted him, he said, whatever position you want, I will give to you. And Billy Graham said, how could I take a lower calling than the calling to preach Christ to the nations? You see, some some of us get it, that what we're doing is the most significant thing that can be done. Others of us are deceived or unwilling to realize, you see, You have a great big God. You need a great big faith because you have a great big call on your life. Now, Paul says it this way to Timothy. And and before you, you come to a passage like this and just put your preconceived notions on it, when he says preach the word and be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, When he says that, he's not talking about being a preacher in the sense of 
that you have a, a, a rhetoric or you have a sermon or you have a three-point message. No, what he's really talking about is that you become a person who knows how to announce, proclaim, set forth, deliver the truth, make it known. You're, you're a herald. You're, a, you're an announcer of what Jesus has done, what he's done for you, but also what he's done for the whole world. And the idea is that because you're, you're a herald of this good news, that, that wherever you see human hearts open, where you see people seeking and longing and hurting, then that's the place where Paul is saying, okay, in that place, preach, preach the word. Um, you know, it's fascinating. Um, sometimes when I'm at a restaurant, and uh, somebody's waiting on us. And, and maybe I don't do it when it's really busy because I don't want to get the person in trouble. But sometimes I can just feel the weight of pain on the waiter or the waitress. And I can just sense that they're, they're, they're just maybe one more you know, bad thing happening away from crying. And, and I see this hurting heart. And it's a, it's a strange thing to just say, I know, I say, I say to him, I know this may seem weird, but I just sense you're in pain. Would you let me pray for you? And I have yet to find anybody that said no to me. And as I prayed, I prayed about their pain and I prayed about their hurts. And, and I said, just keep your eyes open, but their tears start to come. And I, I'm able to say, Jesus loves you. And many of the times, the person that I'm talking to has some kind of faith background that they've walked away from. And just that one touch, that, that one touch of somebody sees you hurting is a preaching of the word to them. Because you see, what we have is good news. It's not, and, and this is so important that we get this, it's not the news of what we have to do for God. That's religion. That's you going out and saying, you know, this is how you get right with God, by doing this, this, and this, and nobody will get right with God. But gospel is that story of what God has already done for us. You know, that is what ministers to the hurting heart. It's not that I need to do for God, but what God has done for me. And so, you know, think through this with me. It's kind of a simple way to look at it. The gospel is the news that God loves us that he sees us in our hurt, our agony, our failure, our weakness. The gospel is that he sees us even in our independence, our pridefulness, and yet he still loves us. And he's already done something about both our weaknesses and our pridefulness. He, he has done something about it through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He broke the stranglehold of the evil that's upon our hearts. He took upon himself our sentence of death. Through those who then are willing to open their hearts to the Savior. This is why it's such good news, is, is when they open their hearts to the Savior, not only has he found a way to pay for their sins and die for them, but also he comes and lives within. And that begins a process of renewing. This is the word that we proclaim to people. Now, what does Paul say to Timothy? If your call is that significant, if your life is that significant, if you're the plan of God, you're the strategy of God, then he says to Timothy a one word in Greek, but it can be translated different ways. It could be translated urgency. It could be translated readiness. Or it could be translated that you're prepared. So the idea of urgency is that you love the gospel so much that you're passionate about it. 
that you have come to a deep belief in your, your own heart. You're not arguing with people because you don't believe and trying to argue yourself into belief, but you believe it so deeply that you're not defensive, but you just love who Jesus is to you and what he's done for you. But at the same time, there's this interesting thing that some people, when they hear urgency or readiness, they, they start to force people. They start to try to manipulate people. And, and that's, that's not what Paul is saying here at all. One of the great theologians, John R.W. Stott, said it this way. This is not a biblical warrant for rudeness, but it's a biblical appeal against laziness. He's basically saying, do it whether you feel like doing it or not. In other words... Get this at the center of your message to everybody. What has Jesus done for you? How great is your grasp of the gospel? I, I, love, um, I love kind of the phrases that uh, someone like Tim Keller uses in the city. You know, we were so sinful Christ had to die for us, but we are so loved that Christ chose to die for us. I love phrases like that. I, I love a phrase that uh, says, Jesus was treated the way I deserve to be treated, so that now I am treated the way Jesus deserves to be treated. What a, what a uh, just an encapsulation of the gospel message in just a phrase or so. It makes me not only me confident, but it makes me passionate that people would know this truth. It, you know, basically what I'm saying is you're not telling people you're better than them. You're telling people you're just as bad as they are, that you're just as needy and broken and bankrupt apart from Christ as they are. And so there's really no other, there's no other way to set people free. There's no other way to get people into a place of that kind of freedom and right relationship with God. So the apostle singles this one thing out. He says, in the light of the presence of God and the significance of the work you're doing, he's saying, this is the one thing you must not neglect. Proclaim the word of God. And this is why we have, this is why we have pushed so hard in this term and in this season to say, You've got to be a self-feeder of the word of God. You can't preach the gospel of somebody else. It has to be the gospel, the, the truth of God's word that you yourself have hidden in your heart. And that's coming from your own readiness, from your own preparedness, from your own urgency. Now, it's interesting. I, I, I thought this was fascinating that Paul actually tells Timothy how to proclaim. And, and if I can just boil it down to three things, he says, convict or convince, which means give an intellectual argument. He, he says, appeal to the conscience, the place where someone has a sense of moral right and wrong, appeal to their conscience. And then he uses the word exhort, which means to help them overcome the fear, or the unbelief. So when he's saying to reprove, he's saying, I want you to be able to tell people with convincing evidence, with solid, compelling evidence, I want you to be able to expose what's right and what's wrong. And the reason he's saying this is because that's the heart of repentance. Repentance is when you recognize 
I'm going the wrong way or I've thought the wrong thing. And instead, I get a compelling evidence of the right way to think and of a new way and a new direction to go. I, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, because it, it points out the difference between accusation and conviction. See, he's, it, Paul says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance. In other words, he gives you something to change without regret. Regret is always about a past experience or choice that you cannot change, but gets you mired in a negative emotion that you can't get out of. So the, the work of conviction or the convincing is not just to make people feel bad or to have them even get remorse. It's to get them to change their mind or change their direction. And and when we see, particularly when you love people enough and you see what you're doing, you're falling into sin. And, and it's at this point, Paul says, you've got to speak into that fallen place. You've got to speak into that place where they're, they're trapped, where their conscience knows this is not who I am. I, I had this experience when I first came here. It was about 16 years ago. A lady came up to me and said, I need to meet with you. And I, I was like, okay, but I could, I could tell she was either angry at me or she was fearful. I couldn't, I, there was a strong emotion. And she started off the conversation saying, why do you preach to me every week? Why are you pointing out my sin every week? Well, obviously I, I wasn't, I didn't even know her. But what was happening is, is she had gotten trapped in immorality. She was still coming to church, and she was getting so convicted in her conscience. And, 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 and it, was, it was overwhelming to her. So I was able to lead her into repentance. I was able to do some deliverance with her, and she was transformed. See, sometimes people have to know how deeply their conscience has gotten mired before the good news is good news to them. And there are a lot of us, you see, there are a lot of us that are just on the edge. We, we need somebody to encourage us. I, I was thinking about this with Paul talking to Timothy. And Paul, you know, here he is in prison. It doesn't look like he's in control. It doesn't look like he's powerful. And yet, who in this story seems most powerful except Paul? And so his great big God and his great big faith and his great big call is now encouraging and exhorting the fear of Timothy and saying, come on, I'm going to pull you out of this. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to encourage you to overcome your fears. You understand, many of us, many of us, our call is to encourage other people to, to see where their fears are and say, come on, come with me. And, and some of us, we have these fears and we need to find people Maybe they're bigger than life like the Apostle Paul, or maybe they've just gotten to that place where they have that inexplicable confidence. But we need encouragement to overcome fears. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, old-time evangelists used to say this, people will not change unless they get an emotion or an affection or a passion that wells up inside of them that's bigger than what they're afraid of. 
And so that's what this encouragement. You see, he's not telling you a hard thing he's doing. He said, what's convinced you, convince others. Where you see your friends getting mired in sin, speak to their conscience. Where you see people's fears, where you see that their unbelief or doubts are, are riddling them, be the encouragement. Pull them out. Pull them out. Well, obviously, we don't do this in our own personality. We do it from God's word. This is it's interesting that those three words that he uses for preaching there is, are very connected to the words of Scripture, which is profitable for teaching, for correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness. So the last thing I want to I encourage you with is, one, patiently teach others. Don't expect that the first time you're sharing, the first time you're, you're discipling, that people are just going to catch on fire and be where you are. Remember, you once were where they are, and it took you a long time to get there. And so what the scriptures are saying here is be patient with people. And it actually, it's saying know, your, know the gospel so well, know the word of God so well that you can explain it, you can answer questions, you can clarify you can learn to apply the gospel to specific questions and specific situations. I find this really more and more what God has trained me in in the last 20 years or so. Because I, I grew up in a, a season where everything, even in preaching, was basically about explaining the Bible and even explaining like all the minutiae of the Bible, all the different aspects of the Bible, instead of applying it, applying the gospel to life. And uh, the more I walk with Christ and the more I minister, I just want to keep applying the good news to people's life, to, to explain it, to show how it fits. Because not only is he conforming you to the image of Jesus in all the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, um, but he also wants to make you healthy. He wants to make you whole. And, and the gospel is wholeness. It's not just, you know, you're going to get a free pass from hell and, and burning forever. It's, it's wholeness now. It's fullness now. And so we have to be people, Paul is saying, we have to be people that realize we've been entrusted a second chance, blown by Adam, but now given this second chance to bring the kingdom of God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ into the lives of people. So why would you maybe face resistance? Well, <laughs> because the gospel requires that people admit that they're weak. And people don't like to admit that. The gospel says that every passion you have is not a good one. Some of them need to not only be restrained, but they need to be healed. People don't like to restrain their passions. Submission to the authority of the word of God. It takes incredible humility to begin to submit. We live in an age where people really dislike and reject authority. Paul says days are coming. There are cycles in these last days where people not only turn away from the truth, but they go look for people who will say exactly what they want to hear. It's kind of an itching ear disease. And Paul says they'll wander into myths. Now, I don't want to take time to 
talk about any of these myths, but what I want to do is I want to take time to say this. The plan of God, the strategy of God, is that you are the herald. You're the announcer. You're the teacher who patiently doesn't give up, even on people who don't get it right away. But you are so significant that God has no other plan but us. We're it. And Paul, in his, in his biggest, most, in some ways, his most grandiose appeal, says, I'm appealing to you. Do you not see that it doesn't matter what other people see in your life? It doesn't matter what other people have to say about your life. He says, you're living before the eyes of the Father. You're living. Your heart is exposed to the very heart of Jesus. And he says, out of that place, take up your call. Take up your walk. Take up your life and say, I have significance. I have a call on my life. Because what you're going to find is if you live out the call, you'll find you have a great big God. And the more you realize how big God is, the bigger your faith will get. So let's pray together. I remember, Lord, first hearing this as a kid. And I remember when I first heard it, it scared me. I, I thought I could fool others. I could do what I wanted to do, and I could still kind of live a double life and, and uh, kind of make other people think I was spiritual or I was religious as a kid. But I heard those words. You see the very depths of my heart. And at first it was kind of terrifying because I couldn't hide my deceptions. I couldn't hide my temptations. I couldn't hide my weakness, my failings from you. But it was in that, that fear that I began to realize how much I needed the gospel. That I was so sinful, I was so evil, that you had to die for me. But I was so loved that you chose to die for me. And though this life that I've lived has not been as wonderfully significant as I would like it to be, it has made all the difference to know that you're calling to me your voice, your face, and whatever else is screaming in the chaos, whatever else is screaming and everything else, it's your voice that I hear through, through all of that. Whatever seductions or temptations, it's your voice that calls me life. It's your voice that calls me home. It's before you I will stand, not anyone else. And so... As much as I love the fact that I'm sharing this teaching with others, Lord, it's touching me in a deep place to say, I want to live my life always in the face of God. I want to live my life not with a little God, but a great big God with a great big faith. I want to live my life realizing that even the little things that I do are significant because you asked me to do it. That there's no job you give me that's too small and there's no job you give me that's too big. And so I'm, I'm convicted by these verses and I pray, Lord, that others will also be convicted. 
that with all the clamoring, with all the noise, with all the sense of powerlessness, that we would rise up like Paul did in prison and say, preach the gospel. Proclaim the word in season, out of season. Be ready, be urgent, be prepared. There is no other solution. I think even tonight of Jesus, when he was presented with the the man who was paralyzed, he didn't say, get up and walk. He said, your sins are forgiven. Showing that the bigger need isn't just to be healed from coronavirus or to be healed from any other sickness in our life, but the biggest need is forgiveness. And that you have provided. You have provided forgiveness through your own blood. You have provided forgiveness not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. You have commended your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or let these words go deep into our hearts. Let the significance of this penetrate all our defenses. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this worship service. Uh, Check with us all during the week. We're going to have devotionals each weekday. We have prayer times. We have worship times. We're going to get through this, and we're going to get through this together. But I hope you'll see today that everything you're doing has a bigger audience than you realize. Everything you're doing is significant. And Jesus won't waste any of your sacrifices. God bless you. We love you. We miss you. Amen.